good morning to all of those who are joining us today in the room and good afternoon to those who are joining us from Africa and good evening to those who are joining us from Asia. Welcome everyone to the press briefing on the 2019 GFPR report, the Global Food Policy Report that launches today in a couple of hours. My name is Smita Agarwal and I'm a communications specialist here at IFPRI and I would like to thank both our experts from IFPRI, UNDP, as well as our colleagues from media who are joining us today for this conference. I want to take a quick moment to run you through the order of the business today. We're going to have brief introductory remarks from experts here to provide some of the details on the theme for this year's report. Following that, we'll have about 30 minutes to take questions from our colleagues from the media. At this point, I will request everybody who's joining us online to please mute themselves so that we can have a serious experience. Our panel for today's briefing, we have IFPRI Director General Schengen Fan. We do also have an audio message from UNDP Administrator Akhim Steiner. IFPRI Director for Africa Usman Badiain will be joining us online from Dakar, Senegal. IFPRI Director for South Asia PK Joshi is here. IFPRI Division Director, Deputy Division Director will be joining us remotely from London. And IFPRI Senior Research Coordinator Hazel, Hazel Malapit will also be here. We also have Rajul Pandya Lodge, Communications and Public Affairs Director, and we also want to extend the a number is unreachable. to Jameson Irvin, who's representing Akhim Steiner today, and uh, Jameson is Manager Glo Global Program on Nature for Development, UNDP, who will be taking later questions on behalf of the UNDP Administrator. A warm welcome to everybody. Before we proceed further, a few housekeeping rules. I have muted everybody's lines to minimize background noise. When we come to the question and answer portion of the call, I'll call upon several of you individually who I know may have some questions. I would request you to please unmute your own line when asking a question by pressing star six. If you would like to ask a question but are not able to get through on the line or are having trouble, please email my colleague whose contact details have been provided in the email before. This call is being recorded and the recording and transcript will be available on the IFPRI website in about eight hours time or by 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you do not wish to be recorded on this call, please disconnect from the line now. With that, it's over to Director General Dr. Schengen Fan to provide us with an overview of the 2019 Global Food Policy Report. Well, welcome, welcome you all. I thank you for your dedication and commitment to help us to communicate the importance of ending hunger and malnutrition uh, to the world. So your, your work has been very instrumental. So for the last several years, our attention has been on urban areas. Yeah, this is very much deserved because the rapid urbanization provided opportunities for billions of billions of people, for jobs, for improving health, education, living conditions, and so on. But on the other hand, the rural area remains to, to many uh, remains to be in crisis. So hunger, malnutrition, largely a rural phenomena. And in the meantime, the environment, the living conditions have, de have been degraded in many parts of the world. So I call it a rural crisis, uh, particularly in many parts of the world in Asia and in Africa. Now, uh, what do we do? I think we must restructure, rethink um, our, our de development agenda to make sure that we re-focus, sort of re-prioritize rural areas. Otherwise, otherwise, we will have no means to achieve SDGs, not just the ending hunger and malnutrition. All other SDGs will not be able to be achieved without paying enough attention to rural areas. Now, so I summarize the five key points. Number one is employment. We must create jobs in rural areas by improving connectivity, roads, electricity, particularly internet, you know, modern technology that can help rural farmers to engage high value employment opportunities, but also migrate them out. The second is the gender. I think our gender expert is here. To me, uh, the gender is particularly a challenge issue in many rural areas. So we must make sure that women are empowered in rural areas to tackle some of the challenges both men and women face. So number three is the environment. 
this really touches my heart. As part of the growth, the rural areas have suffered from um, the, the overuse of agricultural inputs like fertilizers, pesticides, uh, and so on. This polluted our water, our land, and even polluted our air. And the condition, the living conditions in rural areas uh, just cannot be accepted. So we must make sure that we provide right incentives, right policies, particularly to reform certain subsidy policies to make sure that we have a clean environment in rural areas so we can attract the people to come back to, to live. The number four area is energy. Again, access to energy, particularly renewable energy, is so crucial for rural development, particularly in many parts of Africa. So it is still the case that only probably 20% and 30% of African rural population have access to electricity. To solve that problem, I think we have to go business unusual. So not necessarily through public uh, grids, through some of the more decentralized, decentralized renewable energy service uh, is a very important option. So finally, it's governance. So how can we make sure that the rural residents, the communities are truly empowered to set their own priorities, to, uh, as a, to make sure that uh, the community leaders, the politicians, are accountable to the outcome in rural areas. So I, uh, I have some experience in some of the countries in India and China, so I'm not going to elaborate how we have failed uh, in governance. So my key message is, the, so we have the knowledge, and with political will, and with investment incentives, so we can tap into the vast, vast potential of rural revitalization to improve the livelihoods of billions and ensure sustainable and inclusive, inclusive growth that leaves no one behind. So 2019 Global Food Policy Report will really zoom in all these different aspects, different elements of the rural revitalization. So with that, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Fan. Now we'll move on to the audio message from our UNDP partner, uh, UNDP administrator, Akim Steiner, Steiner, who joins us with this video message. The theme of this year's Global Food Policy Report is rural revitalization. That is the urgent need to recognize the vital role of the more than 2.5 billion rural farmers of the world and to restore the health and diversity of farms required to sustainably feed 7.5 billion people. The report comes on the heels of several recent global food reports that paint a stark picture of the future, requiring us to ask new questions, to find new solutions, and to better plan for the future. This provocative report asks us to radically rethink how, when, where, and with whom we invest in food and agriculture. It calls for nothing short of a wholesale transformation of our global food and agriculture systems. The benefits of doing so are clear. By investing in rural communities and in rural urban connections, by transforming agri-food systems to improve local diets and strengthen livelihoods, by empowering women with access to credit, land rights and technical assistance, and by restoring and revitalizing degraded land, we will see profound change and we will be able to accelerate progress across all of the Sustainable Development Goals. I'm very grateful to have been able to contribute to a joint chapter in the report with the Director General of the International Food Policy Research Institute, my dear colleague and friend, Dr. Schengen Fan. It is entitled Rural Revitalization, Tapping into New Opportunities. Together we argue in the chapter that rural revitalization requires a transformative approach to make rural areas more productive, sustainable, climate resilient, healthy, and attractive places to live in order to leave no one behind. We have just over one decade to transform the day-to-day -day reality of billions of food and nutrition insecure people while protecting the environment and natural resources upon which our planet depends. It gives me great pleasure to congratulate all of the other authors of this important piece and I look forward to sharing it widely. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Steiner. That was UNDP Administrator Akim Steiner who the just delivered a very powerful message. I will now move on to our next panelist, Dr. Usman Badiain, who's joining us online from Dakar, Senegal. Over to you, Dr. Badiain. Hi, good, good morning to everybody in Washington. I hope you're hearing me very well. Yes, we can hear you. Okay, excellent. Uh, thank you, um, uh, Schengen and um, uh, 
Dr. Steiner for your introduction and thank you to everybody who is joining us. Um, this is uh, an interesting report uh, which comes uh, after the one we had uh, recently on urbanization, looking at the urban dynamics. Uh, here we're looking at uh, the other uh, segment of the African uh, population around the rural areas. Uh, you will see uh, in, the, um, uh, in, the, in the report uh, the uh, uh, need uh, to broaden the recent economic growth we have seen in Africa uh, to seize that momentum to diversify and revitalize the rural areas. Uh, we have had uh, a good uh, period of uh, solid growth in Africa over the last few years, uh, but you have um, um, uh, created with that uh, the opportunity uh, to make sure that everybody benefits from that growth. The rural areas have benefited, but not to the extent that we wish to. And here, what the report is asking uh, African countries uh, to try and do uh, is to see how they can use uh, the, uh, um, the energy coming from the renewed growth process, uh, the transformation of the value chains that are now trying to link with the demand in the urban centers, uh, when you talk about, uh, you know, uh, sectors like millets, like cassava, uh, like white maize, those that almost nobody really looked at in the past uh, because all the attention was on the much more advanced or perhaps more sophisticated value chains uh, like um, uh, rice or maize, I'm sorry, rice and wheat uh, and the others more uh, of, of higher value. Those uh, forgotten orphan value chains like millet, cassava, uh, now transforming very rapidly, creating opportunities for rural areas and uh, smallholder farmers, but also other rural area uh, residents to uh, join in and uh, um, uh, find opportunities for jobs, for higher income, for higher productivity. Uh, so uh, what uh, we would see necessary in Africa to make sure that the rural areas benefit from the new cost of growth would include A, making sure that the transforming value chains uh, uh, extend the impact into the rural areas, that it translates to higher demand and effective higher income uh, for rural producers, that it creates opportunities for job creation uh, for folks in the rural areas. For that, there will be needs to invest uh, in infrastructure like some African countries are doing right now. Uh, there will be a need uh, to uh, invest in uh, areas like mechanization, not just on the farm, but along the value chain, uh, creating opportunities for new jobs for the youth. Uh, there is going to be um, a necessity to make the rural areas much more livable by investing in services, uh, in economic infrastructure, uh, and um, uh, modern uh, um, sources of energy. Uh, to improve the living conditions in the rural areas. So um, if the governments uh, follow on um, the uh, progress uh, of the last few years and pay a little bit more attention to how the spillover for the rural areas can be uh, intensified, I think that Africa will benefit from it and the rural areas will do. So the report has a, a bunch of uh, recommendations on that. Um, and some of those that I've just mentioned now and absolutely more uh, in the report. So I'll, I'll stop here and I look forward to, to the discussion. Thank you so much, Dr. Bhadiyan, for providing your analysis on how rural revitalization can impact food security and poverty in the continent. To remind our friends from media who are joining us, Dr. Bhadiyan has co-authored a chapter on regional trends in Africa. I will now request uh, my colleague, Dr. Pramod Joshi, co-author of the report chapter on regional trends in South Asia, to provide us an overview on how does rural revitalization impact food insecurity, uh, food in food security and nutrition in South Asia. Over to you, Dr. Joshi. Good morning and good evening, all friends in South Asia. Uh, South Asia region is emerging, you know, region in the in the world. Uh, South Asia region continued to be uh, the, uh, the uh, fastest growing uh, region in the world. The, if you look to the economic growth, 7% growth rate in Bangladesh, Nepal, and India, and roughly 5.8% growth rate in Pakistan. And this economic growth in the region is driven direct largely by the domestic consumption and less by the investment and the exports. 
One important thing is that agriculture is dominated in, in, in South Asia region, where majority of the population dependent on agriculture. A very interesting thing is happening in South Asia region that the share of agriculture is declining at a very fast rate, but the dependency on agriculture is not declining at the same pace. So it has several implications. One is that it shows that non-agriculture sector is income is increasing much faster rate than agriculture sector. The second is agriculture and non-agriculture sector incomes are widening over time, and rural and urban incomes are also widening uh, in the region. Uh, another interesting thing in the, in the region is that the demographic transformation is very slow in the region. Uh, it is still 70% of the population is living in the rural areas. And there are five key challenges if we have to revitalize uh, rural uh, transformation. Uh, number one is uh, still region is ha having high rural poverty. One third of the world poor are living in this region. And malnutrition is acute. Uh, hidden hunger is there. It leads to uh, child mortality. Uh, stunting, wasting, and anemia is prevalent among women and children. The second one challenge is the seasonal unemployment in the rural areas, especially to rural youth. Uh, this needs to be tackled. And third is the lack of basic uh, services like electricity, sanitation and drainage, safe drinking water, and poor health services. The fourth challenge is crop residue burning, which is a new phenomenon which is emerging in the region, which is leading to air pollution and health hazards. It is leading to several health hazards. The fifth is climate change, which is becoming a serious threat, especially to the vulnerable uh, groups and more uh, to the uh, rural areas. There are some successful uh, initiatives taken up during 2018 in these uh, uh, South Asian countries. The number one, India, uh, it has a big boost to uh, support agriculture sector through uh, higher minimum support prices, and recently announced a new scheme, Prime Minister's Income Support Scheme for small and marginal farmers, which is as a direct uh, cash transfer to the farming community. The second one is uh, strengthening health sector, which is largest uh, uh, health sector in the world. It's a new scheme known as Ayushman Bharat Scheme, which was recently launched uh, to create uh, 500,000 health centers all over India and providing free health services to roughly 500 million poor people uh, in, in India. Uh, there is a big boost to electrification. Almost 100% villages have been electrified by uh, February uh, 28th. Then under Clean India Movement, it has reduced uh, open significantly. Uh, from, you know, um, it has come down to 12% now. So uh, the significant changes have taken place during last year. Bangladesh have allocated around 27% budget in social infrastructure. It is focusing more on health and nutrition-related issues. Pakistan has have its own national food security policy and national water policy. So what we need to do, if we have to move forward, if we have to revitalize uh, uh, rural sector, what we need to do, I have listed five points to revitalize uh, uh, rural sector. One is because majority of population is dependent on agriculture sector, we need to give high priority to agriculture. And we, instead of supply-driven agriculture, we need to focus more on demand-driven and technology-led agriculture sector. The second is strengthening of non-farm sector. We need to move more and more youth from agriculture to non-agriculture sector to increase their uh, incomes and also generate employment opportunities for these uh, rural youths. And But it will require assured electrification and rural financing, as well as the skill development of youth. The third important area is to provide uh, uh, basic, uh, basic amenities, like safe drinking water, sanitation, and drainage. And fourth area is to uh, this, this region has uh, highest uh, international remittances coming from abroad. So we need to channelize the remittances which are coming uh, for rural development. And fifth is we need to promote climate smart agriculture to reduce the risk of climate change.
Thank you. Thank you so much for the fantastic overview. That was Dr. Pramod Joshi, Director for South Asia, who is also the co-author of the chapter Regional Trends in South Asia. I will now turn to Dr. Claudia Ringler, Deputy Division Director at IFPRI, for an overview of her co-authored chapter on the links between environment and rural revitalization and how it impacts food security and poverty. Dr. Ringler. Yeah, thank you. Can you hear me uh, from Oxford here? Yes, we can. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. So, um, Director Schengen Fan already noted the importance of the environment and especially of a healthy environment for rural revitalization. And I'll just explain that particular point a little bit more. We all depend on the health of the world's ecosystems and their services, and these happen to be concentrated in rural areas. As you all know, they are unfortunately under increasing, increasing threat from climate change. We've just heard that for South Asia, deforestation, soil degradation, groundwater depletion, water and air pollution, <clears throat> and poor management of solid waste. Lack of rural infrastructure and services and poor economic opportunities together with these growing inequalities compound these environmental threats. An example, you know, a very recent example is this cyclone Idai that flooded parts of Mozambique, Malawi and Zimbabwe. And it really has shown again the fragility of rural areas. Deforestation, saltation of rivers and land degradation in these three countries will prolong the adverse impacts that this uh, cyclone has uh, brought to the region, as does the lack of infrastructure. Thus, restoring and improving the natural environment will be and is core and essential uh, to rural revitalization, not only to improving rural living conditions, but also to the health of our planet. Agriculture, of course, is the is core to, to rural revitalization, to the environmental part of it. And, op and that also means the custodians of agriculture, those are our women and men farmers, will be essential and will be the key actors to achieve uh, environmental transformation of rural areas. So what do we want to do? We want to invest in rural revitalization, not only to create economic opportunities, but also to create healthy rural areas. And we need that to provide safe food, to provide clean water, to provide uh, not only climate change adaptation, but also mitigation and other key environmental services. How can we do that? Three areas where we have to and where we can make further progress in this area include, first, providing economic incentives to address environmental degradation. Possibilities include payments for environmental services, removal of, sub of subsidies that distort resource use, such as fertilizer subsidies. Um, Director Schengen Fan already mentioned that. And also the need to identify rights and responsibilities for both environmental goods, such as clean border, and bats, such as air pollution, um, as P.K. Choshi mentioned. Second, we need to invest in more innovative practices and technologies in agriculture, such as precision farming, small-scale irrigation, and ICT. These can increase agriculture yields and reduce environmental degradation and need a lot less space. Finally, we need context-appropriate institutions to motivate and coordinate action among rural, rural dwellers to address these environmental issues. These institutions include land and other resource rights, local resource use associations, and partners with national governments. Again, IFPRI has shown how such uh, local institutions can make a difference, for example, for more sustainable governance of groundwater resources, um, for better managing grazing lands, and also forest lands. So there are a lot of possibilities where we can make a difference, but I think we just need a larger focus in these areas and increased investments. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Dr. Ringler, uh, Deputy Division Director here at IFPRI and co-author of the chapter on environment. Before I turn to Dr. Hazel Malapet, I will just make a quick announcement. 
uh, after the remarks of Dr. Hazel Malapit, we'll be ready to take question and answers. So I would like our colleagues from the media to be ready with their questions. And I would ask uh, you to unmute yourself before you ask your question. Uh, request Dr. Malapit to deliver her remarks. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Um, all of our actions, policies, or programs, or interventions are mediated by gender dynamics. And that's why it's intricately woven uh, throughout all these issues that we are talking about, as, as Shengen has already mentioned. So we as a development community understand that closing gender gaps and uh, empowering women is of intrinsic value to women and girls. We also know that it's a key step towards achieving many of the SDGs, as the evidence shows. So if our vision is to have all members of society to be able to participate in and benefit from the growth and transformation of rural areas, then we need to recognize and make visible through better data and evidence the important contributions of women and girls and find ways to eliminate the barriers that constrain their lives. So in this chapter, we ask how can the process of rural revitalization provide opportunities to empower women and girls? And how can empowering women and girls create sustainable rural communities? So when we're talking about empowerment, we're really looking at three components. There's resources, there's agency, and there's achievements. And so this means uh, that rural revitalization must include providing opportunities to strengthen women and girls' rights to resources, such as land, technology, other assets. It should include uh, opportunities to increase their decision-making power. Uh, at different levels, and opportunities to increase their well-being, such as health and nutrition. And so one tool we can use to guide uh, the design and implementation of programs and policies that are intended to stimulate rural revitalization is the REACH Benefit and Power Framework. So REACH uh, means ensuring the participation of women by addressing gender-based constraints to participation, for example, changing time and place of meetings, or hiring women as extension agents. Benefit means designing and implementing the programs and policies with the specific needs and constraints of women and girls in mind, so that the benefits do in fact accrue to women and girls. So, for example, providing clean water and fuel or sanitation are examples of this. Um, now, empower means going beyond reaching or benefiting women so and girls. So it means strengthening their ability to make important decisions. And here we need to recognize that women and girls are embedded in their families and in their communities. So we, it's important to engage men and boys and the broader communities to be able to promote a shift in gender norms. So while the types of uh, policy reforms that are needed will depend very much on the context because um, gender constraints vary from, from place to place. Using this reach benefit and power framework can help assure that women's needs are met and that women have greater capacity to contribute to rural revitalization. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Malapet. That was Dr. Hazel Malapet, uh, co-author of the chapter on gender equality and a senior research coordinator here at IFPRI. With this, we will begin the question and answers round. I will request you to unmute yourself before asking your question and also provide a brief introduction, your name, the outlet um, you represent. Um, and, um, and yes, go ahead and ask your question. I know that few of our colleagues have questions, so I will call upon them first. Um, just. I think we have, um, from Shinwa, we have Mao Ling. If you want to go ahead and ask your question. Just um, give us a minute. We're trying to resolve a technical issue. We're trying to unmute you from our end. He will have a face-to-face -face meeting with me right after this. Um, I did a couple of uh, meetings. Hi, if you have a question, if you have a question, please go ahead. There's something you want. Gilbert, do you have a question? Do you want to go ahead?
I would request our colleagues from India. I can see that Gilbert, you've unmuted yourself. Do you have a question? Also, see, we have Paida online. Paida, yes. do you have a question? Yes, I do. Please uh, go ahead. Can you all hear me? Can you all hear yes. me? Yes. Yes. I, yes. I, I just wanted clarification. I think Claudia mentioned it. Um, she sort of said um, um, one of the ways which uh, we can reduce environmental degradation is a uh, reduction in fertilizer subsidy. I just wanted a clarification because Malawi is one of the countries which um, which is using a lot of which is using a lot of fertilizer subsidies at the moment. About uh, over uh, I don't know 50 percent of the agriculture budget goes to fertilizer subsidy. So could she just clarify on um, um, reducing environmental degradation and focus on fertilizer subsidy, please? Claudia. Claudia, would you be able to take that question? Sure, happy to do that. So um, fertilizer, fertilizer subsidies basically um, are only for one component, gener generally nitro, nitrogen fertilizers. So that, that leads, in most cases, to unbalanced application uh, of fertilizers, over-application of fertilizers. And in the case of Malawi, um, Obviously, we have seen growth in maize production in some years uh, that has been linked to the, the subsidies there. But we've also seen very high growth in hyacinth, water hyacinth uh, production because all these nutrients are running off into streams and rivers. The water hyacinth population in turn has negatively affected hydroelectricity production. Um, it obviously affects all the aquatic life um, in the rivers and streams of Malawi. And in the long term, those Cities that basically, you know, are wasted or used in a single year should rather be converted into um, investment in agricultural research for better uh, agronomic management practices, for adaptation of advanced crop seeds. These kind of investments would have multi-year long-term benefits rather than this single season uh, bringing out of fertilizer that has really uh, growing environmental impacts and not just for, as I said, aquatic life, also for energy security and obviously there's very little done right now on monitoring of nitrates um, in the river systems in Malawi, but I'm sure that the levels uh, in places are uh, significantly above um, acceptable world standards for drinking water and other issues. So we are talking about a very, as you said, yourself, a very large share of the budget that's being used without generating uh, positive long-term benefits. It's some short-term benefits for some farmers, and I don't think that's what we want to see. No, definitely not. Thank you so much. Thank you, Claudia. If I can go ahead and ask the question on Maoling's behalf. Maoling had shared the question with us before. Her question is to Dr. Fan, and her question is, according to the 2019 GFPR, rural revitalization would be the focus this year. So what's the urgency, and why is it important to focus on rural revitalization at this time? Well, as I environmental degradation, uh, the unemployment of youth, and uh, the very high level of hunger and malnutrition. Just for your information, the most of the poor and hungry people are smallholder agriculture producers, and they are in rural areas. So there's urgency. The Xinhua is a news agency from China. So for the last two or three years, China has used data as an entry point for overall improvement in rural areas, environment, job opportunities, economic growth, and um, uh, improving living standards. So we have seen some positive impact already. Some urban youth already begin to move back to rural areas to set, set up the enterprises because of the 
great opportunities, you know, better connectivity, top of village, you know, this is the internet, the village, and uh, uh, obviously a clean environment, improved living standards, health service, education services. But what we need to do is, is to scale up all the successes within China and probably beyond China to many other regions. Thank you so much, Dr. Fan. The next question I have is from Singapore's Trade Times, and the question is directed to Dr. Pramod Joshi. Uh, we have Nirmal Ghosh who's joined us online, but we, are, we have received his question, and his question is regarding burning of crop residue. Nirmal asks, there is some indication that such burning has increased, say in Thailand, because of large-scale contract farming in Thailand for animal feed. Has burning across Asia actually increased, and if so, why? And is there any success in incentivizing farmers not to burn? His second question is that Dr. Joshi mentioned increasing rural-urban rural income gap. Any data on that? Thank you so much, Dr. Joshi. Yes, uh, the crop burning uh, is increasing in South Asia, and it is becoming a, uh, you know, a new phenomenon to increase the cropping intensity. Uh, there is a very little gap between uh, rice production and rice harvest and uh, starting wheat, wheat crop, sowing of the wheat crop. So immediately after rice harvest, they burn the uh, rice uh, crop residue, which is leading to pollution and affecting even urban areas. They are huge health hazards, uh, and it is reaching to a very serious uh, problem. Uh, there are several measures. Uh, through one is through giving incentives to the farming community, especially um, this year. Indian government has done a lot of work, uh, and that has helped in reducing the crop burning, uh, crop residue burning. One was uh, giving incentives to buy machines, which can help in quickly incorporating residue in the soil, and then also promoting technologies like. Uh, uh, Zero, uh, zero till uh, seed uh, to for the wheat crop. So it has helped in reducing uh, the crop residue burning. But it has to come in a massive scale. It will not be uh, corrected through one or two or few farmers. So both incentives and also uh, the punishment, uh, there are regulations that those who are burning residue, they will be fined, jailed. So these measures are to be uh, initiated, and government took serious action this year, and it helped a lot. And hopefully that next year or coming years, it will come down. The second question is on rural income divide. Yes, they are in India, but particularly we have the NSSO data, which is clearly showing that how income disparities between <coughs> agriculture and non-agriculture sectors are widening, and rural and urban areas are widening. So national sample survey data over time is clearly indicating this phenomenon. Thank you so much, Dr. Joshi. That was Dr. Pramod Joshi, <coughs> uh, Director for South Asia. Our next question is from <coughs> Gilbert from SciDev, and her question is, how can we harness science, technology, and innovation in creating employment opportunities in rural agriculture? I will request Dr. Badian and then later Jameson to take this question on behalf of UNDP Administrator Akeem Steiner. Uh, Dr. Badian, are you able to hear us? Uh, can you repeat the question again? How to finance sure. science? Was the question? So, our, so the question from our colleague from SciDev is: yes. How can we harness science, technology, and innovation in creating employment opportunities in rural agriculture? Very good. Thank you. Uh, let's take very concrete um, uh, areas of science and technology uh, where you will create uh, quite a bit of uh, jobs, uh, not just um, uh, on farm but off farm. Let's take the example of mechanization. Uh, if you were to um, uh, introduce uh, mechanization along the value chain, we're just not talking about tractors, we're talking about also um, equipments for post-harvest handling, for processing, uh, for transport, for packaging, for distribution, uh, for uh, uh, new uh, technologies uh, further downstream the value chain. Most of those technologies uh, will require uh, new labor, new skills. So if you can pair uh, new technologies and a good and solid program of technical uh, and professional training, you'll open up new uh, opportunities primarily for younger folks, for example. Uh, 
to uh, enter the value chain uh, from farming all the way to processing. But also, uh, if you think about uh, a lot of the first stages of processing being done by women, uh, creating um, uh, uh, new technologies for processing, uh, better mechanization of the tasks that they have to undertake, will create quite a lot of uh, opportunities for them to expand their businesses and make more money. Another uh, technological area that you could do could be uh, um, uh, telecommunications-related, information technology-related um, uh, technologies uh, from the uh, uh, facilitating automation of work processes all the way to creating uh, new businesses of services providers uh, and content developers and, and, and the like. So those are perhaps non-traditional technologies, but even if you were to go with traditional technologies like uh, better seeds, uh, what it does in terms of increased productivity, uh, the opportunity for processing, for uh, uh, value-added um, uh, activities. So um, uh, introducing those technologies uh, should be something that companies should be able to do with the, with, with the available physical space right now. Uh, with uh, two solid decades of growth and better fiscal position by a lot of governments, uh, this is the time to start investing in this kind of uh, technologies uh, to spread growth and employment creation in the rural areas. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Badian. That was Dr. Usman Badian, industry director for Africa. And now I'll request Jameson Irvin, uh, manager global program on. Um, Manager on Global Program from UNDP to please respond to this question. If you would like to us to repeat the question, I can do that. Could you please repeat? The yes. Um, so the question from our side of colleague is: <clears throat> How can we harness science, technology, and innovation in creating employment opportunities in rural agriculture? Thank you for the question. It's not just about how do we harness science and technology and innovation. It's how do we transform the science, the technology, and the innovation that we have today. Let me give you one fact related to the crop residue issue. We think that 90% of drinking water around the world contains plastic microfibers, 35% of which come from synthetic fibers. This is a crisis on our planet. And yet just five crops, the waste products from banana, pineapple, flax, hemp, and sugar, could more than 2.5 times re, uh, replace all of our fiber needs on this planet. So the question is, why aren't we using crop residue for fiber? That's just one dimension of the transformation that needs to occur. We must first reimagine our value system for the planet that we want to see now and in the future. That's the kind of transformation. So when you ask, how do we harness science, technology, and innovation, we need to ask, how do we harness our imagination first? Now, the uh, crop residues, we could also convert them to a biofuel through so the innovation technology. Indeed. So, yes, yeah, <laughs> Thank you so much. That was Ms. Irvin from United Nations Development Program, uh, Manager for Global Program on Nature for Development. Uh, our next question is from a correspondent at EFE Italy, and she wants to know, how are rural communities being affected by environmental crises in China and agricultural crises in India? If I may request Dr. Fan and Dr. Joshi to please respond to this question. If you would like me to repeat the question no, again. Okay. I think, yes, um, probably for the last 10 years, the uh, rural area in China has faced uh, environmental crisis. The water is polluted, land uh, has been degraded, and the air has been polluted. So air pollution does not just come from the burning of, of the source, but also from the use of uh, uh, fertilizers, nitrogen, and so on. So that's a PM 2.5 actually come from the application of nitrogen. So the crisis has been there. So what will be this, the, some of the uh, strategies or solutions? The one is, uh, I think Claudia Ringler mentioned, to how we're going to do reform the subsidy policies. China spends $200 billion, $200 billion on, on subsidies of fertilizer, water, output price support. And uh, when you subsidize fertilizers, so fertilizer price is very low. Only half of the market price, the farmers overuse fertilizers. The uh, irrigation water is free. So can we charge water? 
and output prices also artificially let's say, increase the use of inputs. So reform the subsidies, use the subsidies to invest in agricultural research, modern technologies, including the technology value chains, so not just production, the whole value chain, or convert them to income support. You, know, you don't need to link the subsidies to production. So income support is another way. So again, we have seen some success in many part, parts of China. So I think, um, and the, the government has already begun to reform the subsidy policies. So I, I hope maybe next four or five years, we will see uh, revitalized rural areas with clean water, clean air, and a clean landscape with good eco-service uh, system to serve people, animals, and the whole planet. Thank you, Dr. Yeah. Fan. Over India, to India is also facing similar kind of uh, problems. It is water-related uh, environmental issues, land degradation, and air pollution. These are the problems in India as well, and these are increasing over time. So there are a few uh, initiatives taken up by the government of India. Uh, one on, uh, for example, uh, with, with respect to the uh, urea um, a name-coated urea has been initiated where there was a high subsidy in urea and urea is also there is a leakage for industrial industrial purpose <coughs> and some industry was also utilizing this subsidy but government of India took a very bold decision by coating neem around the urea and which helps in reduce improving the nitrogen use efficiency it slowly releases nitrogen and improves crop productivity and it has also reduced the consumption of uh, uh, urea because it releases slowly and improves the nitrogen use efficiency. So this is one big uh, achievement that it improves the soil and reduces the land degradation. The second uh, initiative is on to check the land degradation uh, through water-related you know, flood irrigation and um, excessive groundwater use, the micro-irrigation. The, uh, the drip irrigation, the sprinkler irrigation, so these are being promoted and heavy subsidies are being given to uh, these, uh, these, these micro-irrigation. Uh, the third one is uh, the, uh, promoting ex extensively the climate-smart agriculture. So climate-smart agriculture is to control all these water-related issues, land-related issues, and air pollution-related issues. So it is controlling all the aspects. But it is taking little time. It requires more policy interventions, institutional reforms, so that the farming communities come forward for adopting climate-smart agriculture. Thank you so much, Dr. Joshi. We'll move on to the next question that we have from Malawi. Uh, our colleague Charles Koka from The Times in Malawi has asked a question for Dr. Ringler. His question is, what are we doing in terms of climate proofing to secure agriculture for food security? The case of Cyclone Ida is an example. Dr. Ringler, if you could please take the question. Yes. Uh, thank, thank you very much. Before I'll do that, I just want to say one or two words on the environmental degradation in China and India because it says environmental degradation. So, you know, from what we heard and what the governments are still doing, I would call it a band aid uh, policy or a band aid strategy. It's so just the example of the air pollution in India. So, why do we have uh, crop burning um, around Delhi? So, the reason had been severe water degradation and groundwater depletion. The solution to that problem uh, for irrigation in, in that area had been to tell farmers to change their planting dates. So now their planting dates are so close together uh, to address the groundwater depletion problem. So then the only solution they saw after they were, the Band-Aid was put uh, on because of the water depletion was, okay, now we have to burn the crops, otherwise we can get our two seasons in. So now we have the next problem and air pollution. So again, another Band-Aid. Let's get some new machinery, you know, to address that problem. And certainly there will be the next environmental degradation problem that will come as a result of that Band-Aid. And so I think what we really need to do is to sit down across all the sectors and just say, you know, what are the ecosystem functions and what are the ecosystem services that we value most highly from rural areas? 
Yes. Do we want clean water? We want clean. Do we want clean air? Um, you know, do we want enough food? And does it have to be wheat and um, and rice in the area? Um, and you know, just to say, if we want these ecosystem functions, then we have to change our agricultural system and not keep putting on band-aids that throw us from one environmental crisis into the next. That was just my quick word on environmental degradation in India and China is not that different. Um, in Mali, um, cyclones like the one we have seen yeah, obviously lead to a lot of infrastructure destruction, so both rural and urban, and rural infrastructure is already of much lower quality and much lower quantity. And one to the degradation of the natural environment. In Malawi has been substantial deforestation. Claudia, we are having difficulty hearing you. I will pose this question to Dr. Irwin. I mean, I let me just explore one dimension, and this is the issue of agrobiodiversity. If we think that just 12 crops and five animal species comprise 75% of the world's food, then increasingly we're looking at decreased crop diversity, but also decreased varietal and genetic diversity. We are exposing ourselves increasingly to climate risk because these species, these varieties, these genetic seeds and stocks aren't preparing us for the future. When we think about rural farmers, they are the least responsible for climate impacts, and they are the front lines. They're the most at risk in terms of livelihoods and in terms of their ability to respond to climate disasters. Therefore, we need to think about safeguards that encourage experimentation, such as crop insurance, such as seed banks that, ensure, that encourage experimentation. Thank you so much. That, that was Dr. Jameson Irving, uh, Global Manager, Global Pro manager on global program on nature for development from United Nations Development Program. Thank you very much to all of you for participating today. We have exceeded by five minutes the time for this call and we uh, thank you all for your wonderful questions. I do want to share with you all, especially our friends from the media, that we will be posting the audio recording of this teleconference and the transcript of this teleconference by 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on our website. So it will be made available. If you have any clarifications, do not um, hesitate to follow up with me separately. Um, you have my contact details. Thank you very much once again to everybody who's joined us in this room online, to our colleagues online, and we look forward to joining us for the event later in the day. Thank you.